Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Blaster Cannon, Den of Geeks, Star Wars, and Expanded Universe podcast. I'm your host, Megan Kraus, here with my co-hosts, Paul Herman and Saf. We're back from celebration and ready to go with Star Wars news and reviews. Our main topic this month is Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, a novel published by Del Rey on April 16th. Bringing us back to the prequel era, this book has a heavy dose of prophecy, politics, and Padawan problems. Hey guys, what'd you think of this one? I like the peas. <laughs> Getting those plosives right on the show. Good. I liked it a lot. It was it was what I wanted out of the book. I, I, I liked <laughs> I liked a lot of it. I didn't love everything about it. I don't think it was a bad book. Uh, and I, I think Claudia Gray is the best Star Wars novelist that's working consistently with the brand uh, right now. And I as see far all as, of those like things you're saying to make us not be like, how dare you say not Alex Reed? No. <laughs> No, no, I and again, like I, I feel bad because I, I don't, I don't have the connection to Alex Freed, like, like as far like, as the, I'm just, the I'm just getting full at forehead right now. I know. I can't see it. <laughs> just, just in my opinion, I think that that pound for pound, I, I, I tend to enjoy her stuff more than than the other uh, Mr. Freed. That's no, no offense on him. And I'm looking forward to Alpha Squad. <laughs> we squadron. don't have to compare every Star Wars. It's book okay. It's okay. Claudia Gray is incredibly good. How did yeah, we get but, here? How did we yeah, get here but, so quickly? But anyway, I just I just want to say <laughs> that I think that the book is, and it's not even a criticism on I think her writings. I think her, I think the story was great for the most part. I'm not a novel person, so that this is part of the issue, and I have issues with just you know extra stuff in the books. But we'll talk about that as we go. But I think I definitely think it's a great. I think or I think it's a great story. I love all the Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon stuff. So, but yeah, we'll we'll talk more about, about it, but I, I did I did like it. As usual, we usually have a um a wide spectrum of opinions here, so to <laughs> round that out, I thought the book was bad, but more Oh. Wow. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I I do talk about this really enjoy Claudia Gray. Generally, uh, this book did not feel like it was written by her. So we're going to go into news first. We had our annual, the beginning of the Star Wars holiday season with the Vanity Fair photos and story for The Rise of Skywalker. And this is, of course, some much anticipated photos, most of which are staged. They're not necessarily, you know, real um, scenes from the movies. I think we saw a lot of conversation of people saying like, oh, what's happening in this scene? And like often they're not literal interpretations of the scenes, but they did give us some really cool new images, including space horses. Yes, we have some more space horses, and I am very yep. excited oh, about that. These are different space horses. They're not the same ones yeah, from the they're last five years. They're real cool. They've got like real weird long faces, and they've got like that real kind of like big, big, like wild horse look to them. Big. I love it. Big, <laughs> big, 
the big. I love their four faces. They're way better than Fathers. They are. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Look, Fathers were, were all I had at the time. Well, Fathers was the don't... only thing I had going for me for space horses in the movies. And then they gave me this. I don't need Fathers anymore. They're gone. They're old news. I don't think the Fathers are bad either. I don't like them in the, I don't like their part in the movie per se, but I don't <laughs> I think the design is fine. I think their role in the film is just kind of meh to me. No, but that's a whole like other podcast. These no, are... the, yeah. These are warriors, yeah. man. And and uh, are... from some of the pictures that Finn, Poe, and Janna were gonna be on a planet with these space horses. There were some images of the regular horses that were gonna be, you know, decked out. <laughs> And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about whether we wanted them to be furry like fathers or to be scaly like veractals. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to be scaly. And I think they came down kind of on a middle a middle ground where they're very shaggy, but they yeah. also have this monstrous tusked appearance. And then I like it. I put out a poll on Twitter that did not receive as many votes as it should have about how do they open their mouths. Oh, I, I saw really that. want to know. <laughs> Yeah, because there's some options there for these horses on how yes. their mouths work, and it's terrifying, but I love yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's why <laughs> I'm so intrigued, because it's either going to be these long, terrifying alligator mouths or, like, tiny mouths, and either way is great. Either either this, one is good. This has the running for – and I'm not I'm not BSing when I say this. I mean this 100% I – mean I'm being 100% serious. This Their design might be in the running for my favorite new, like, creature design – in the sequel, or excuse me, sequel trilogy, or even post Lucasfilm Disney buyout, I love these designs. The they little might be my favorite of all time so far. Wow, they, they look designs. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. They, they look, look really cool. Fantastic. Like in the next, in the next Star Wars Creature Madness that's run on Twitter, uh, I think these will be my number one. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. They look great. I, yeah. Um, apart from space horses, I'm always really excited to see Annie Leibovitz. I hope I'm saying her name right. Do photography for Star Wars stuff. She's a photographer I love. Like, I've read all of her photography books and stuff. And I've probably mentioned this on earlier shows. But I love seeing her do Star Wars stuff because she's got such a cool mix of traditional photography, but also using, like, digital collage manipulation and stuff like that. I think it blends really well with how Star Wars just exists in general. And I really hope, even though they're talking about this is how this is the last, you know, like saga film and they had her come in to finish it off and all that i'm hoping that they continue to have her come in and shoot photos for the other films for vanity fair i don't know if that's going to happen or not but i just having photos shot by her of star wars stuff is my favorite thing and i i'm excited to actually get a copy of vanity fair so i can have it in person I really liked what you pointed out about the images of Kylo Ren and Rey, about how the sun was rising on Rey and setting on Kylo Ren. Yes, and that's something, as soon as I saw those two shots together, and it's very clear it's the same shot, but cut, obviously, like, different lighting is done post-production, I guess. The way they've colored Rey is obviously sunrise lighting. Like, And this is because I've done photography myself, and I like working in those hours in particular. They do have very different colors to them. And Kylo's is definitely like a sunset, like a deeper red-purple. And hers is like a more golden yellow. And those both match the characters so well. And I think it's really interesting because the movie's called The Rise of Skywalker, and one of them has a sunrise in the background that was something i was really excited about and then nobody else was talking about it and i was like okay i'll just stay in my little corner with the sun <laughs> i think it was I, a very I, a very good theory i don't think that i'm i'm not personally gonna draw any ideas about the plot of the movie from from yeah. the symbolism but i think it was I, yeah. a really good thing to notice 
Yeah, I doubt anybody actually involved in like creating that cover knows the plot of Star Wars. Yeah. So I doubt it actually means anything, but I like the symbolism just for the characters in general because Rey is the light and Kylo is the dark and that's kind of the direction they're moving. And I, I thought that was just a really cool way to have a connected cover but make it still match each character really well. There's a lot of assuming, right? But I mean, like, I think that's probably the correct assumption. So I, I think that's why it's a great thing to point out because i'm assuming the sun is going to settle or settle set on excuse me set on kylo ren so at that and obviously i'm assuming we're all assuming that the rise of skywalker is referring to ray in some form or, or another, even whatever. it could be just referring to where they're standing at the end of last jedi because at the end of last jedi like kylo's fallen a lot like he's true lost yeah. a lot and ray is becoming a jedi she's rising up even if i'm gonna go full star wars nerd on this right now but even if you look at like the last shot of them together he's down at the bottom of the ramp and she's up at the top like closing the door on him so even then she's got the high ground i'm sorry yeah, true. I'll, I'll stop now i'll stop now <laughs> i love it I love it. No, there's a lot of cool things in this Vanity Fair piece. And I, I have to say, I was a little surprised that I feel they revealed a little more than what maybe JJ normally would, like, especially The Force Awakens. They totally didn't do anything. But I feel yeah, like they, ones, they did not show much, especially when they start hinting at the fact that, like, hey, they're, they're basically telling us that there's more to Rey than than the what The Last Jedi was hinting at. I pretty much was like, all right, Rey's with Brando. I'm good. Whatever. I've kind of accepted it. But now after I read this, I'm like, why are you doing this to me now? Like, seriously, like there's, you know, if for people who don't know what it is, it's the part in the, in the, and I read it a couple of times to kind of get the idea. And I think there's, there's a lot of different ways you can read into it. Obviously I'm, I'm overanalyzing, but that's why I'm here. Right. But there's there, what it says basically is that there is a deeper connection to the Ray and Kylo Ren that hasn't been revealed yet. And this is and in the that, article by Love Grossman that accompanied the pictures yes yeah. and then also there's it also will be a culmination of the end of the millennium battle uh the jedi versus the sith i'm kind of back to putting my tinfoil hat on with ray theories and to be honest and, and i'm just gonna and after having a good uh, over a year of not having ray theories really and just kind of just waiting to see how they're going to conclude the saga it's nice to have my to have theories again because i yeah. miss that I miss having theories. And I think now, granted, there's a danger to that because you're like me and you get disappointed if it doesn't go the way the way you want or the way you think. At the same time, I'm really embracing what we have right now because it's nice to have them like mystery or some it is you know, kind it's of fun like to like come up with ideas of what could happen and like connect things. Like I mean I'm starting to get theories now post reading the new stuff and the new audio drama. They seem to be mentioning prophecy so much. Like why? Yep. Is Ray is Ray the chosen one? Is the prophecy coming back? Is that why is that why Palpatine's coming back? And like obviously I don't know if any of this stuff is actually like gonna come out in the movies, but my brain's going there because we've got like We've got mystery to explore now, and that's exciting. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot with that whole chosen one and prophecy. And I hope I don't. The one thing I would say to that, Saf, is that I would love to think that Lucasfilm was that intertwined, but for some <laughs> reason, I, and this is not a shot at Lucasfilm because remember, the Rise of Skywalker is not being really made by Lucasfilm. It's being made by a bad robot and J.J. Abrams. Like that's who's making. Yeah, but the like, story group will be involved. True. True. But I, I just I feel like JJ wouldn't want that to be hinting at his stuff. Like he doesn't want you know what I mean? Like I feel it's not that connected as far as JJ's like, yeah, go ahead and start hinting at what I'm gonna do. Cause we all thought that initially with the canon, right? But at the same time that hasn't happened. So mm. it's just kind of I wouldn't, my... I wouldn't go so far as to say that 
Abrams is disconnected from like Lucasfilm as a corporate entity because I think the story group is as involved with this as they are with anything else. But it is interesting seeing the difference between this article and the kind of mystery box look that we had at The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I found interesting, and I did feel that this article editorialized a little too much. There was a lot of times that where Grossman kind of spun out his own ideas on them. But one of them was about the confrontation between Rey and, and Kylo Ren and about how Ray kind of feels that Kylo had been given everything, like had been given force, had been given a family, and kind of given everything that she wanted. And then conversely, Kylo now feels like Ray is taking the things that he wants. And that is a super interesting, like, hero villain dynamic to me, mm-hmm. and a lot more interesting than the kind of vulnerability that was set up for both of them in The Last Jedi. So, I would love to see more of that kind of rivalry uh, between them in this one, and I'm hoping that this, this cover with the sunset and the sunrise indicates that. Yeah, that was something that I kind of got from The Last Jedi. Like, it's obvious Ray being like, why'd you kill your dad? Like, yeah. that mm-hmm. she wanted that dad. She wanted that family, right? Like, she didn't have she didn't have that. She wanted um, that she dad. See, she wanted that she, dad. She, she wanted that dad. Um, she doesn't oh, understand why Kylo would have, like, thrown that away when he got exactly what she wanted. She's, she's disconnected from the past. She has nothing holding her back. No things to, like be loyal to or to be beholden to which is what Kylo wants and that was kind of something I got from the end of The Last Jedi so reading that in that article got me really excited because I'm like maybe they're going to explore that more in this movie which is Mm -hmm. what I want Um, because it's a really cool dynamic yeah yeah go ahead Megan I thought it was interesting that you said that Rey doesn't really have anything that she's beholden to because I think um, with what JJ has said about how the trio is going to be together more I think I would love to see her choosing to be beholden to her friends I mean I I think she is like I think she definitely is because she wanted to help the resistance like she was mad that Luke wouldn't she wants to fight for good but I think from Kylo's perspective she doesn't have anything to be holding to because he doesn't have friends he doesn't have family like well found family he doesn't have that thing that she has so he wouldn't see it in her and Mm. see it as something important as well I kind of love that he sees it as freedom he's like you can do whatever you want and she's like yeah but I'm not evil so I'm gonna choose to help my friends yeah exactly He's consistently choosing to gain as much power as he can, and she's like, that's not freedom, actually. That's just you being a jerk <laughs> on a galactic Actually, that's scale. just rude. Actually, that's just rude, yes. <laughs> the Ray thing, I think, is it's fresh, and I love what you guys are talking about with, with Kylo Ren and, and the connections and what does she mean, Chosen One. And I, I love that we're, what we're getting. I, I do agree with what you said, Megan, about there was a lot of weird editorializing that the writer did and i feel that was you couldn't really understand what was being confirmed what wasn't being confirmed or what was being hinted at or whatever which maybe was the intent of the piece it was a perfect type piece in that way there was a problem i don't know if you guys saw this and jonah marie god bless her soul was kind of keeping track of this and 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 it hasn't really got out and i wonder I, i don't know what to think but there was it was confirmed that the Knights of Ren are in the movie, right? They have the yeah. they had the the whole thing. But what happened on the online piece on the actual article they released was that it's it said at the time Kylo Ren was attacking someone, it was confirmed that was a Knight of Ren. That's what the article said at first. Huh. And it, and I was like, What? I'm like, really? Huh. Okay, I didn't think so, but all right, I guess it is. Like maybe it's a flashback or whatever. I mean, you mean and, in the trailer. Yeah, in the trailer, but... I mean, even if the article didn't confirm that, it's really obviously one of the dudes. But in the... Uh, Jonah Marie on was was posting the Reddit uh, Ask Me Anything things for the writer, 
and they actually went on record and said that was a mistake by them. That is not what, what was confirmed. Joan Marie so, is at Blue Jay Guys on Twitter. Yes, she is extremely amazing. good. If you're listening to us and not following her, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yes, she's but, she's so good. She's amazing. But she was posting all these different things that the writer was kind of talking about. And it wasn't even the writer who came in. It was someone from Vanity Fair editor, something like that, said, hey, this is uh, whatever. And we actually made a mistake on that. That has actually not been confirmed. That was a night of Ren. That was a mistake right. on our part. So, and I thought it was it. Now, not that saying that's wrong either, because maybe they they made a mistake. They they know it's a night of Ren, and they went, oh crap, we and that wasn't supposed to be they in there. Made, I don't know. Yeah. I watched the trailer the other day with my flatmate, because you know sometimes you just gotta watch a Star Wars trailer, and True. like playing that bit through really slow, because that's you know what you do. That guy that Kylo's on now looks very much like the Executor kind of. I totally just see the Pokemon name Executor. Executor. <laughs> <laughs> um, that guy. Good. Uh, on that, that's in the Knights of Ring because I remember when I saw that photo of him and I was like, he looks like he's an executor. He looks like he's ready to like execute somebody. Um, executioner. That's what I want. And <laughs> then like in the trailer, you can see him. He's got the same kind of like mask thing going on. He's got like his weird axe thing. And so I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that, that he's fighting that particular Knight of Ring. But God knows why. Is that in the uh, Art of Force Awakens book? No, he's the in one- the photos. The photos that you see of the Knights of Ren. Oh, okay. In the very fair thing. Yeah. Which okay. Speaking of Knights of Ren, quickly, what do you ladies think? Of the I of am so excited to actually see them. I didn't know if we'd actually ever get them in in a movie. They seemed like something that had been a cool design, and then they were like a throwaway thing. I hope some of them are maybe girls. Who knows? But they look cool. They were they were confirmed on that poster that you didn't want to see. Yeah, yeah. I did tell you. Uh, I do I do remember it, like being very obvious yeah. in that blaster cannon video it did being like you yeah, know paul they're in the movie <laughs> yeah um, no, I, yes, and then yes. afterwards i was oh. like oh no what if the poster is fake and then the vanity fear came out this i was like oh thank god they're real i, I kind of knew they were probably in there i mean i heard the rumors and everything but the knights of ren are just I, I, they look cool i just hope what i'm worried about though and i'm curious what you ladies think and megan i want to hear your thoughts too i didn't mean to just cut in but what I'm wondering is, obviously, they're going to take on multiple heroes. And there's, to me, Finn's going to take some on, because there's six of them. I counted. There's six of them total. I feel like there's going to be two against, you know, probably Poe and Finn, or two for Poe, two for Finn, two for Ray. I feel like there's going to be something, or or one for, you know, one for Poe, one for Chewbacca, or something like that. Like, there's going to be one <laughs> for every hero, I feel, in this movie, or something like that. And obviously, their weapons are, are there, and, and we've seen the Praetorian Guards. They can, they, there are are ways to combat lightsabers but i hope they it makes sense i love i will give ryan johnson and last jedi a ton of credit they they gave us weapons that could go up against lightsabers and they made sense and i liked them they were cool but these weapons that they have they look more brutish like they don't look as like high tech as the praetorian guards Mm -hmm. ones do now granted there is like even I was watching Solo the other day. Dryden's uh, little dagger things have a little red outline on them, and the Praetorian guards uh, stuff didn't have the outline on the on their weapons either. So there there's have been like that... yeah, over the course of like Star Wars, there have been various weapons that have been able to counter lightsabers, like ele- right. electric stuff seems to yeah. be able to. What's the name of the? Uh, it's core something. It's what was the name of the substance in Legends? Cortosis. Uh, 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 they used something similar for Solo. Cortosis. Yes, Cortosis. Thank you. They use something similar in Solo, and it could very well be that. I do like the look of the Knights of Ren, what we've seen so far. I think that mix of futuristic and leathery medieval is really cool. Um, I also saw an interesting theory 
that was just floating around the internet based on some really kind of subtle interpretations of this article and about the rumors that the Knights of Ren might have recruited Kylo instead of the other way around, which I don't necessarily think is is true, but I think is a cool kind of like fanfic direction to go in with uh, maybe were the Knights of Ren connected to the acolytes of the beyond like we've been saying maybe they are for quite a while and they were actually this powerful group that then corrupted kylo or is it the other way around where he was like i'm gonna go to the dark side on my own or through the influence of snoke and then creates his gang i don't know about that idea of one you know one for each hero i think that depends a lot on how the movie is structured overall that does make me think though of uh, one of the most exciting parts of this photo uh, set and article for me was the reveal of Carrie Russell's character, because she is also going to be involved as a villain. So I would suspect that instead of the Knights of Ren each going after a different hero, we're going to have one set facing off against Force users and another set facing off against Zori Bliss and her, Mm -hmm. if she has any more, you know, scoundrels with her. What if she is a former Knight of Ren slash ex-Luke's student? I mean, she could be, but scoundrel to me reads pretty firmly as not a force user. Like, scoundrel is its own category in Star Wars. JJ. It's JJ. Never know. Maybe maybe we'll finally get force-sensitive Finn and force-sensitive Zori Bliss will fight him. Wouldn't that be awesome if (laughs) Finn was force-sensitive? I mean, well, I I, I think she's a good guy. I don't think she's a bad guy. I think she's going to be... I think she has a connection. That's my take because Carrie Russell is a friend of JJ's. They have they have a great working relationship of being on you know Felicity as her first big major thing, and obviously that they have you know there's I think she's even on Lost. I could be wrong, but either way, I think she's in it for a legitimate reason. Like meaning like obviously for the role, but I mean I think there's a her character has some you know there's a backstory there. There's some there's a there's a connection. You know, not a blood connection, but there is a connection to her, to some characters or whatever in this film that why she plays a part in this movie. Yeah, and I, I, I just have a feeling there. You have been a Star Wars fan actually longer than I have. So I think that you understand my feeling, which is that no matter how good an actor is under the mask, there's always that character that has a really cool mask and three lines of dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> and I think to God, this is going to be her. I hope it's- but no, I, hope I don't not think so. also because I really liked her in the Americans. I think she has a really good range and I would like to see her have a little more range than being basically Zam Wessel. Um even I though like, her design looks really old Republic in its style and yes. I really like that. Like I like that it's, it's gold. different from the other new Star Wars kind of designs we've gotten. It feels more like ancient, even though it's not. I like that. It reminds me a little bit of my favorite outfit in Knights of the Old Republic, which was the really expensive crimson jumpsuit. Yes, I was thinking of that as well. (laughs) And I like her helmet. It it looks so much like a Rocketeer helmet, or it looks like helmets that the Warlocks from Destiny have. It's just like, it's perfect. (laughs) It's really cool design. I'm really excited to see it. Both her and um, Jenna, what's her actress's name? Naomi Aki. Yes, that's it. Oh my god, I can't believe I forgot Naomi. Naomi Aki and Zoe Bliss both look like really cool new characters for this. Um, you see her like on what the space horse is looking real comfy on it, and I'm excited about that. And the sh- shot we got of her at celebration, like standing in the grass, I guess she just looks real badass. And so I'm real keen for like these new ladies. Her design leaked. Like there was like promotional stuff that leaked for for Jaina. Is it Jaina or Jana? I I don't know. Jana. Like, her character design is I never I didn't like the bow and arrow at first, and I'm like. Eh, 
I'm not really into this. But after seeing her on a couple more uh, actual stills and seeing this and on the awesome horses, space horses, I'm I'm starting to come around to it. And I thought it was also interesting. I'm not sure if we talked about this on the last show about the on the panel, but they brought the fact that she like basically alluding to that could be Lando's daughter, which I thought was really yeah, interesting. I never know what to believe with that because it could just be them being like, haha, everyone has these jokes. But also like it does sound like there's more to her character. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So I'm like, I'm not putting anything on that because I don't want to assume uh, that anyone is anyone's child anymore. I, I don't mind it. I don't. I don't mind it. As, I know you guys have a lot more problems with it than I do. But, I, but at the same time, I'm wondering if it is his daughter. Maybe that's why he shows up in the first place, because he shows up and in they. Ha- it's more of a happenstance kind of a thing. I don't know. I was uh, glad to see Lando back. That'll be my, my yeah. just other brief con- uh, conversation about this. Is that it was cool to see Lando in the in the cockpit of the Falcon again. Glad to see him and Poe hanging out. I don't know if they'll hang out in the movie, but oh, they I did hope so. Movie. Those two interacting would be so good. That's just an just an unbearable level of charisma. I yeah. can't handle it. <laughs> oh my god, I yeah. want that. I am terrified that Lando is going to go in and like confirm that L three has been stuck there for like fifty freaking years. But I'll I'll burn that bridge when I get to it. It's fine. Saf, I I hate to do this to you, but I hope she is on the Falcon. But that's just me. I hope Sorry. he gets on the Falcon. And he's like, oh, this thing's terrible. I'm so glad I got L three off of this fifty years ago. Uh, I don't know. So <laughs> moving yeah, on. We'll yeah, moving on. <laughs> really briefly, and um, because we have been covering some of the rumors about potential other movies after the saga is done. Um, I wanted to talk uh, briefly, acknowledge that there was a rumor about um, director Leta Caligridis working on a Knights of the Old Republic era film. Um, she has a bit of a, I think, patchy, um, patchy but interesting resume, including uh, writing credits on Alita, Battle Angel, Shutter Island, and Terminator Genesis, which, if I remember correctly, is the bad one. Is that true? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Um, that one got destroyed. I don't know her well. Um, I don't really have too much interpretation on this, except that it is nice to see a woman's name being kicked around in the rumor pool of Star Wars directors. So that is a, a potential that we may or may not return to later. That was reported by BuzzFeed News, I think. So it actually was like a, it wasn't some like rando magazine that just makes up rumors. It was, it's like an actual place that, you know, has sources and stuff. So this is a more likely rumor than many other rumors that have been around. But still, it is just a rumor. (laughs) I don't know people's names very much in Hollywood. I mean, I've seen a decent amount of things here or there. Not as much over the last, like, I'd say eight years. But before that, I've seen a lot of stuff. And this writer, you said it. You know, Megan, not there's there's some blemishes here or there. Burt Ryder doesn't have blemishes, you know, in Hollywood at this time. And when you've been in the business for as long as she has, she's actually a really like looking at her work. It's really all over the place in a good way. I love yeah. what she's done. A lot, oh, there's a lot of, jo- of prey. That's cool. Yeah. But the, here's the movie that I'm going to bring up that I'm like, sign me up. And because it's so bonkers is Nightwatch. If you guys have seen Nightwatch, the Russian film, the Russian sci-fi vampire good versus oh, evil movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That movie is insane. And she wrote it. And I could, I'm like, sign me up for that Star Wars movie because that movie is just bonkers. And But Shutter Island's amazing. 
I love Shutter Island. Uh, I haven't seen uh, Terminator Genesis. Never will. I, I have seen. I haven't seen Alita, but I, I wanted to. I, I didn't. I couldn't find someone to go with me. My wife refused to go with me to see the movie, so <laughs> I didn't go see it. But I've heard great. I heard like it was actually not great things, but I heard it was actually way better than people were expecting. Yes, and it was actually I've, enjoyable. I've also heard some pretty positive yeah, I've things heard it was about like, it. Not amazing, but solid. Like that's yeah. what I've heard. I, I I have a couple things on this. I know a lot of people are saying that this could be you know, a whole nother film besides the Benioff and Weiss stuff and et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I'll be honest, man. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call it now. I think this is the movie they're working on. I bet I would yeah, not no, be surprised. I think, I think this is what, uh, I hope the so. Benioff and Weiss, uh, I feel like it, cause it was kind of like kind of hinted at that they were going to do a Knights of the Republic era thing. So, and also the writing. So it makes sense that she would come in as a director. Right. And also if she's directing them writing, I feel more okay with them writing. I feel well, more okay with it. If there's a woman like at the helm with that. I think she's writing the movie. That, that's, that's what I, I thought. Am I, am uh, I mistaken no, I on that? I think the rumor is that she's directing. Yes, I saw the rumor oh. that she was directing, but looking at yeah. her credits, she has a lot more writing credits, so that may have gotten lost in the shuffle. I'm, oh, I'm not that's sure. my fault then. Yeah, I thought she was writing the movie. If that, then I almost think it's only 100. I always assumed it was right. My apologies. Then yeah, I almost just writing, thought, I would have assumed it was a different movie as well because it's the what's going around is that she's directing. I'm like, well, they don't have a director named for their thing yet, so it makes sense. Then, if they I don't like that on. Honestly, Saf, I I think even if she's writing, I wouldn't be surprised if it's that movie because this this lady has done a lot of stuff, and I wouldn't be surprised with the backlash they've gotten with Game of Thrones because their their strength you could look at their strength as still being executive producers and, and being able to run the show. Oh, yeah, they're good at they're good at running a show and getting like all the pieces in the right place. Exactly. They just not practice storytelling, and so they I get someone good. Agree on that. <laughs> that last season does not agree with you um but well, like if well, they get someone who's like really good at like storytelling and works really well with their team i feel like they've got a really strong crew there to make a really good movie um yeah i i think this is where and this is where i think it's again i i I'll have to look at the article again i could have sworn it said writing but if it's directing it's 100 a guarantee that this is their movie because it would make sense this lady because this lady has a lot of obviously experience and in, in writing films and knows how the structure works and has a great plethora of diverse uh films she's written so writing directing regardless she's you know having someone again a, a woman in working in star wars is huge and a one that's very talented and, and really good she also and this is not my thing maybe it's more your guys' thing altered carbon on netflix oh, I, hate, created that. I hate altered carbon i was worried <laughs> about too. someone bringing that up okay. i haven't okay, actually I, watched beyond the first uh episode of it but i hated the book so much that i was like no and then i started watching the show and i was like no so i saw that and i was like i'm sure it's fine i'm sure oh, it's good but i hate first that's I hate that it. book i have yeah, not seen extremely, it i remember talking uh, to you about the book yeah, 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 yeah. I remember we talked about Wizard Reaches at some point. I hate the book yes. so much. But that says nothing about her. That just says everything yeah. about that book. <laughs> but, she, but, she, but here's what's interesting about that, too, is that she was, was the creator behind that whole Netflix series. So she has a lot of creative experience. I'm not sure if she directed anything. I'll have to look again. But she was behind – I think she wrote, like, majority of the episodes on on the, for Netflix. And so she's got a lot – so maybe with her experience with, with working in television all, now with Netflix and with the with Game of Thrones guys, I just think it's it, – to me, it's, it just seems with, with all the announcements of Star Wars films and them being – you know, them being Disney, not reticent to announce more Star Wars films besides three in the next, what, eight years, I kind of tend to think that this is going to be – this is the same movie that's being worked on. You know, it's coming out in three years from now from, uh, from rise of Skywalker. So yeah, I hope it is. Good. And I hope, 
Yeah, and I hope that uh, I'm really excited for it. I hope it is Benioff and Weiss, and I hope it it's, it's her, and I hope they, it is Knights of the Old Republic because or something along those lines because I we need more Jedi. If it's Knights of the Republic and Riven's in it and they make Riven, dude, I quit Star Wars. I'm saying that right here and now. In three years' time, I may have to quit Star Wars. But also, like, again, this is just a rumor. Like, it's come from a pretty good place. But rumor, these things could change. She may not end up directing it. She may not end up doing anything on it. She may end up doing the thing on it. We don't know yet. Like, that hasn't been confirmed by Lucasfilm. And everything, anything that hasn't been confirmed by Lucasfilm is just, like, could change at any moment. But I like the idea of it, basically. Yes. I can't assume anything about how her work will be just from knowing that she is a lady. But I like to think that if there is a woman working on that team specifically, that she will help kind of curb some of Benioff and Weiss's more, um, more sexist tendencies. And that at least it's a sign that Lucasfilm is, is giving more women a chance in major roles like that. I have heard, I've heard like whispers that a lot of the issues Lucasfilm has is that a lot of the women they approach for these kinds of roles don't actually want to do it. They don't want to do a franchise thing, which I think might be one of the struggles with getting like the big female directors that people know and like are calling for. They may not actually want to do the movie, uh, which is something that a lot of people don't, especially people in the fandom don't, assume is a thing that could happen. I, I imagine there's a lot of dude directors they've approached as well who have been like, nah, I'm good. But all of us would be like, if we got offered a Star Wars movie, yeah, I'd do that. Who wouldn't do that kind of thing? As Lucasfilm and Disney are working with her, I think that's because they very much trust her to make a good movie. So let's talk about some book news. Dooku Jedi Lost is one of the recent works from Delray. Um, it's an audio product we're gonna talk later about whether it's an audio book um which came out on april 30th it's kind of an experiment from delray on trying new ways to, to put stories out there and new uh types of you know I, I it's cynical to say but you know products so i want to talk about less so the content because i believe so i have not read it at all the two of you have both listened to portions of it correct that is correct so um, instead of talking about the content, we're really, other than me saying, yay, prequel content, uh, we're basically <laughs> going to be talking about the format. So I do not typically listen to audiobooks. I don't have a subscription to an audiobook service, and I did not receive an ARC of this uh, product. So those uh, hurdles, as well as kind of travel and other work in my life, mean I just didn't read this. And that is pretty unusual. Obviously, I'm a hardcore Star Wars fan. I'm going to go after um, new things. I often buy like the middle grade books that I'm not sent. I'll often go out and buy them. But this format just didn't really work for me because of the time and places that I listen to audio podcasts typically. So to, for me, I would say the experiment was a failure. <laughs> it did not bring me <laughs> into the fold of, of Audible or whatever pod, uh, audio uh, host they're using. But uh, so how do you two having actually experienced it feel? And uh, Saf, you brought up something interesting earlier that you said you wouldn't actually call it an audiobook. So so why is that? So I definitely think it falls more into the audio drama area of things. It's not a book. Like if you wrote this down, it wouldn't work as a book. Um, it's kind of my main difference between like audiobooks and audio dramas. Is that an audiobook? You write it down as a book. It works. Uh, this is definitely well, uh, largely dialogue based even if it's just outward narration by characters but there's not a lot of that and it is it's designed to be purely audio uh, I do wish they would add a transcript to the audiobook purchase or something so that people who who are hard of hearing or deaf can enjoy this as well even though it is largely an audio based thing but yeah it's it's a drama it's written 
it, it kind of falls into a weird middle place. And I think that's largely because they got a writer who was used to writing books to write this thing in their ebook. They're, they're mm. a book publishing place. So they know they're comfortable with books. And so they kind of tried to push the envelope there a bit, but it falls too far into ebook, ebook, audiobook for my liking still. I talked about it on Twitter a little bit earlier today. It has, it has issues that like, because I listen to a lot of audio drama podcasts. Uh, that's the thing I love. So I was very excited when they announced this because I was like, audio drama for Star Wars. Because even Halo did an audio drama thing, uh, Hunt the Truth, which is extremely good. And so I was excited and for free. like... And free. Something kind of along a similar vein, I guess. It, it has too much narration from the characters that doesn't always make sense. You get you get Asajj describing a scene just suddenly after like a scene of no description. And it's Asajj, Asajj describing a scene that she's in uh, that's not necessarily internal monologue. It's just her describing it for the sake of the the reader, listener, which I don't love because I feel like a lot of what they're trying to do there could be communicated in other ways. Uh, but they also they also have a big issue that comes across in other audio dramas that I always hate is they haven't gotten a diverse range of voices. So a lot of the dudes sound the same and a lot of the women sound the same. And it's there's a lot of characters. It's quite a large cast, which is, I think, another kind of thing they should have whittled down a little bit, maybe had a slightly smaller cast and slightly smaller group scenes. Because some some I can't even half the time I can't even tell when Dooku's talking and someone else is talking. And it's really it's really frustrating. Because when you've only got voice to go off of, you need those distinct voices. And Luckily, Rael Avaros, who is also in Master and Apprentice, has such a standout voice. Like he's he's got this deep voiced cowboy voice. Like it's great. You cannot miss him. Uh, and when he came in, I was like, perfect. I will never forget which character that is whenever he talks. But then I lose Dooku amongst like five other dudes, and I don't love that. On the other hand, I do like it. I am enjoying it. I'm having fun with it. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but I feel like if they do something similar. These are lessons they could definitely learn from. It would have been good for Kevin Scott. I don't know how much research he did into audio-based stuff, but I feel like there are a lot of audio drama podcasts that would be good research for them to listen to to kind of understand good ways to communicate story through audio rather than text that is being read out loud. Paul, what did you think? I've only listened to a little bit of it, and I I, I will echo a little bit of what Saf said regarding the, maybe a, a bigger cast because they def I definitely can hear the same voices and can tell the same voices a lot in different characters and uh, i think it's too early to for me anyway to to say that this is a failed or successful because i think it needs to grow a little bit i think at any time in, in any kind of art you you know especially if you're, you're experimenting i want to give things at least a chance to like develop learn from their mistakes and see how it can get better and become you know get become more than what it's offering if that makes any sense meaning uh it can actually show what it can do, what what the medium can do. Obviously, this is like yeah. Saf said, this is not a audiobook. This is an audio drama. And now, let's be real here too. This is a callback to the all, obviously all the the serials and radio st- uh, shows that we had back back in the day when like even when Star Wars came out in '77, th- there was an audio drama of Star Wars that was on the radio. That was very. Po- it's obviously very popular still to this day. It's like people still listen to it and love it. And I think what they're trying to do is with 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 the blow the blow up of audiobooks. And Audible being this new—I love Audible. I love it. I use—I—I have—I keep—I use it. I don't even—I can't even listen to all the books, but I keep getting books to <laughs> listen to, eventually, and whatever. With with the with the blow up of audiobooks, you have to think—you know—with Star Wars being such a—you know—obviously the gigantic franchise that it is, 
what can you do to offer things to people and fans that's not the same thing as books and what you know again what can you give to audible exclusively that's going to be for on their platform only that's going to make that's you know can, again can generate money for you and i think that and again in this art form it's not it's not exactly reinventing the wheel because this has been done before but i think in the modern day doing basically doing a modern radio tv show you need to offer something different or at least start developing things and, and knowing what it worked and what didn't work and what's in your budget and what you can do and what you can't do. I, I just think it needs a few more trials. And I think right yeah. now, and again, I'm not, I'm not even through the book or the book or the, through the story yet. So, I, but as of, you know, I'm in probably like a good half hour, I'd say. And so far it's okay. I, I don't I don't hate it. I obviously obviously we're gonna review it for the show because I think it's gonna be successful because it is so unique to Audible. I do hope and it's, it's successful because I want yeah. them to do more of the stuff to get better at it. I agree. Like this is just a first trial, and I think for them it's successful because they're not approaching it from an area where they make this kind of stuff that often. So for them this is quite a big experiment. It's different, and I hope that it does well so that they do more like this, but then improve upon this. Because I feel like there's a lot of potential. There's so much potential. I'm basically just crying for for Delray to hire me to write an audio drama for them. Please hire me. (laughs) Um, I think there's also a thing of, like, there's the old-style audio dramas. uh, And then there's now, like, audio dramas have kind of had a renaissance because of podcasting. Uh, They're very popular. Like, The Bright Sessions is getting a TV show. And also, like, it has a book now, uh, Night Vale is incredibly popular. Bright Sessions and Night Vale and um, Limetown, like some incredibly, incredibly like popular audio dramas. Like they have massive audiences. They're getting TV shows and stuff. Audio drama is the thing that people love. And I feel like if Star Wars wants to tap into that, they need to lean a little bit further away from the audiobook side that they've got with Jedi Lost. But that said, Jedi Lost is a really good intro point, I think, to a lot of people who haven't gotten into audio dramas before and like audiobooks. So we'll see where it goes, but I want it to be successful because I really want them to do more of this stuff. I'm interested in Rail's like voice because he crosses over <laughs> into Master and Apprentice, but so we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, I want to kind of really quick go into the TIE Fighter comic series. Basically, I'm excited about these because they do tie into Alphabet Squadron. And um, the first issue, I've only read the first issue so far, but the first one does have a cameo from uh, Erica Quell, my new favorite Star Wars character. They're worth a watch, uh, looking at if you're kind of a completionist. Unfortunately, as comics, they're not, I wouldn't say they're amazing. Um, they're written by Jodie Hauser, who's very good in her age of Republic, age of, there's various ones, right? Um, Jodie's awesome. Yeah. She's really good at making self-contained stories with really strong character art because uh, TIE Fighter is kind of spread out over multiple issues. I think it's a little, it has more flab, so it's not quite as, the characters aren't quite as strong, but I'm looking forward to reading more of them as they come out. It's going to be a monthly series, and if you're uh, really excited for more Quell like I am, then it's a place where you can see some of her backstory and also get art of her. Um, I know the art that Del Rey was posting over the last couple weeks of, um, well, I guess two weeks Two weeks ago. Uh, what is time? They posted pictures of the characters from Alphabet Squadron. And they well, were very good. And if you want more of them, you can look at TIE Fighter. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about that. Did either of you read them? Uh, I haven't uh, read them I, yet, but I really want to. I have. I mean, I'm in getting them, but I'm not reading them until they're all done. And I can kind of... Because doesn't it take place before Alphabet Squ- uh, Squadron? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to go when um, when Del Rey sends me the uh, audio book, I'll probably read read the comic and then listen to that, so it kind of goes in kind of all at once. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of – I don't want to – it's I love Jody Hauser Star Wars comics. I think she's she did a fantastic job on the Age of uh, Republic comic books, and obviously I really liked her um, uh, adaptation of Rogue One comic book. I thought that was actually really good. So I'm I'm kind of in the in the in the vein of waiting till all this comes out at once, then I then I can devour everything because. I read the uh, you're gonna love this guys Han Solo Imperial Cadet comic series and I, I the story wasn't it's not terrible I thought it was okay the problem is that with with these stories I just feel like Star Wars is better when it's released all at once to be quite honest and mm. so I I, I kind of was after Han, unless it's like a one off series like the Age of Re, uh, Republic comics but I'm kind of like with, with these mini series I'm kind of now. You know, unless I'm, I'm in love with the story, like I was with Darth Vader, and I couldn't, I couldn't wait. I'm, I'm just gonna wait till the whole story is completed, and then I'll just read them all. So that's, that's what I'm fair. waiting for. Yeah. I think that's probably a good way to read these two, because then you'll be able to get the character interactions kind of layered on top of each other. Because they do have a couple, like a couple of the Shadow Wing characters are like in a relationship. One of them is considering defecting there are a lot of character beats like opened up in the first issue and i think it'll be nice to be able to read them from start to finish right hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, totally. So, on that note, we are almost exactly at an hour. That's decent timing. (laughs) So... Let's move on to our main topic, uh, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray. Um, we already talked a little bit about Rail Avaros, the cowboy Jedi. So this <laughs> book is the one of the various uh, prequel offerings that we have lately. Um, it's about the relationship between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan before the Phantom Menace. It has a lot of kind of parallels to the Phantom Menace. And the main push is that um, Qui-Gon is asked to join the Jedi Council, and he um, considers it, even though he's a very um, kind of irregular Jedi. Um, but if he joins the Council, he needs to, he will be unable to keep a Padawan. So Obi-Wan would no longer be able to stay with him. So their mission to the planet of Pyjal becomes a mission to see whether they can salvage their relationship as well. So, um... I don't want to just talk about all the ways this book disappointed me. (laughs) I actually feel very bad about this because I generally like Claudia Gray. I liked 
her the way she wrote these characters in from a certain point of view they were very emotional in that one i liked the way she wrote leia in bloodline um but this book felt from the very beginning um oddly paced stiffly characterized and sometimes uh weirdly hopeless when it came to what people could be and i felt that a lot of its characters were very restricted by showing instead of or telling instead of showing and as well as by never quite being forced to be heroes and ending up stumbling into being well just maybe okay so (laughs) that's my life (laughs) it's funny because i do i did kind of get the the feeling saf that maybe some of the things that i that bothered me so much about especially about Rayla Avaros the the rogue Jedi were exactly the things that you liked about him which I think is is great <laughs> so I mean I didn't I didn't love him but he was kind of like I did get that kind of like cowboy vibe from him and I was like yeah I'm into that um I like I keep getting frustrated when I was reading the book when I heard his voice in uh Jedi Lost so Jedi Lost actually has a lot of connections to this book um I was kind of reading this book and listening to Jedi Lost like at the same time um and then i finished this and now i'm still listening to jedi lost but at the same time and they have a lot of crossover because jedi lost has is about dooku um and dooku is obviously qui-gon's master uh previous master and dooku is also rail avaros's previous master rail was his <clears throat> padawan before qui-gon was um and so he appears in the audio drama and when i heard him in the audio drama it was his, like like his whole cowboy shtick going on and I was like there we go I love this man now I I get it I see it I just needed to hear him as a cowboy all along (laughs) I think he was introduced because to me he was introduced very much as like okay what is the idea of a teenager's bad Jedi like he's gonna race Varactyls which the, the the Varactyl content in this book was mostly great. There were a considerable <laughs> number of Varactyls, which is really all I need in a book. But it was like, we're going to introduce him as he's cool because he races. He's cool because he sleeps with women. He's cool because he backtalks people. And I was like, this is so boring. I am used to kind of the idea of a rogue Jedi as like a character like Verger or a character like Kreia or like basically all the Sith from KOTOR 2. Like, those are <laughs> super interesting ideas about different ways to look at the dark side. Whereas Avaros was just like, he's just kind of a jerk. Like, he felt too much like a an average person rather than someone who was getting uh, at an interesting idea about the Force. Like, he hadn't gone all the way over into being a villain, but therefore he was just kind of a lackluster person. And maybe he was more meant to be kind of a foil to Qui-Gon in a way, because they both apprentices of dooku but it's very clear in the book that they both have very different relationships with dooku just because of who they were and he's kind of like qui-gon in that he rebels against the ideals of the jedi or some of the ideals of the jedi because he doesn't think they're right but he gets too caught up in his own stuff whereas qui-gon kind of does he rebels but he's more he he focuses more on the people around him than just his own things. I disagree with you, Megan. I, I think Rail is a great character. And I think the reason, <laughs> and, and, and the reason why in this case is because you're right that he's more of a, he's more typical. Like he's more, he's more like an average like person being a Jedi. 
And I think that speaks to what we would see if this was real, right? I think not relatable. Dude, that's that, that's so not, dark to me, though. Like, I don't really, like, I just emotionally don't like that idea of, like, this is what an average person would be as a Jedi. I want more faith in humanity than that. <laughs> well, but I think I even think... even though he's, like, he's dangerous and he's, like, a badass, I guess, he's still, like, a good dude. He, he sleeps with the lady, but he doesn't do it in, like, a, I'm cool because I sleep with people. He's just, like... The Jedi Code just is not to fall in love, so I'm not going to fall in love. And, but the thing with Rail, what makes him, I think, interesting is that you take, look at the doctrine of just Christianity, right? Just by itself. And how many denominations and how many people take take scripture and they interpret it differently. And so what I what I heard Qui-Gon and Rail arguing over when when Qui-Gon visits Rail and he's, you know, hanging out with this chick and he's like, you know, he's, they're debating and everything back and forth. Again, this is what happens. People interpret things differently, just like Anakin and, and you know, when, when like this is kind of a bad example, but when Anakin tells <laughs> tells Padme, he's like, you know, he said, I thought you were your Jedi were forbidden to love, and he's like, no, I, you know, and from my point of view, you're encouraged to love, and I think that there is, and this is why I like Rail, Megan, is that I feel that there is what he represents is what I think needs to happen in any kind of establishment that you're right that like he's not this great wholesome you know character that gives faith into purity and things like that whereas we think like Yoda and, and Obi-Wan you know do but at the same time he represents something that I think needs to be needs to show be shown in Star Wars because the Jedi Order at that point had been very corrupted and I think that's what I love about Dooku, Qui-Gon, and Rail is like make or Saf, you brought up a great point. They all have different sides of of they're kind of different sides of of of, of Dooku. You have like more you have two rebellious sides. One goes about it the right way by questioning things in a respectful manner, but also pushing you know, pushing the boundaries of what, what, what people might think. And then you have Rail, who's just like, I'm gonna do what I want and I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna run with it. So I think that that you see kind of the positives and negatives of each side and which one is kind of the more I would say the the better way to go if you wanted to get people to see your way of it. So I don't know. For me, I think you need to see these sides and the, we need to see these parts. These organizations of anything needs people that push the boundaries. And rail is a representation of that that kind of goes too far and pushes it, you know, and just is right on the edge. I, those characters are always interesting to me. My other big problem with this book was, I think, uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan themselves, because I also felt that, uh, especially compared to the Jedi Apprentice books by Jude Watson, in those you got a good sense of what Obi-Wan was trying to save, of why he loved being a Jedi and what would happen if he stopped being one. And in this book, I got neither of those things. Um, Obi-Wan came off as kind of a very cold character. Um, I didn't really get the sense of what he would miss if he left the Jedi or where he would go and or why leaving because his relationship with Qui-Gon was so dysfunctional that there were several times in this book that I, and I do think this is a personal a personal reading I could talk about how bad some of the verbs were as well if we wanted to get into <laughs> grammatical readings but I was struggling to think you know why are Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan actually good for each other and I think arguably that is 
central to the book the splintering of masters and apprentices and we see that in the in as you mentioned before the relationship between Qui-Gon and Dooku so I kind of I'll kind of get off my uh, soapbox there except my my one other thing that I insist upon saying is that Pax Marifer is the worst he should not know redemption for Pax he's he's the worst so <laughs> he was another character that I was just like why am I spending time with this person I, um, I will agree with you on that. I will 100% say that. Yeah, I, I didn't like uh, Sierra. Is that her name? I, I didn't like Sahara, Sierra, Sam, Sam, regardless. <laughs> I didn't like, I didn't, that's the one part I was referring to at the beginning of the show that I, I feel I, I could have took those, took those two characters and axed them out completely and I would have been totally happy because mm-hmm. I just did not have any investment in any of them. I know, and it just felt, and this is my problem with novels especially with Star Wars novels, they, it's really hard to introduce, at least for me, this is only for me, it's really hard for me to and get invested in EU characters or, no. or expanded, expanded material characters for me. I and agree. Especially Pat, when you have like a character as strong as Qui-Gon as the canon exactly. character. It's very, I can think of very few examples where the original characters held my interest if they were put up against a tentpole character like this. I think books that have mostly original characters are, they tend to be, they tend to work better, but this one, the canon characters totally overshadowed the original characters. If it's a whole different story, like, like again, like Infernal Squad or something like that, where, or, you know, whatever book you want that isn't about the, you know, have main characters, it's a little different. But when you have something that I, I just want to know more about, I just want to hear Qui-Gon and, and Obi-Wan the whole time. Like th- that's what I wanted. And Rail. Rail was interesting because again, he's tied to those characters. There and I love the the go between between them all and that side story. Like I didn't mind I loved all the planet stuff with the queen. I liked all of that. Like all those other other characters are fine. It's the other supporting characters that I just did not care about. And that's and again, I would I would call I wouldn't call Rail a supporting character. I, I would say he was one of the main characters. And I, I felt in in whatever so i kind of feel like it just their their story is specifically i felt was just brutal and i did and i even though i like the idea of someone being raised by protocol droids i love protocol <laughs> yeah. droids myself i like that i did like that that's the only that's a very that funny idea but it wasn't taken in the direction i thought it no. would go yeah exactly and that's the thing about this book that's so frustrating is i feel like when it hits it hits and when it's not it's not and, I, and, and there is some of that with Qui-Gon too, but I think for the most part, and again, I, I tend to like, I feel like I tend to like these tar- parts of the books the, the best all the time in Star Wars, but all the, you know, with the interludes with Aftermath, I loved all the stuff from the past with uh with Qui-Gon and Dooku and Rail of reading the prophecies when they're they're going after that bounty hunter and Dooku like basically touches the dark side like that's some of my favorite stuff that stuff was so well written I felt like I was immersed right in the Star Wars when you know when I was listening to those stories being you know read out loud in the audiobook by Mark Thompson and I just got to say, like, I, those are the parts that I connected with m- the most. And, and that's what I wanted to know about. I wanted to get in the deep ideas of what makes Qui-Gon tick, you know. And again, you know, Jody Hauser kind of goes into it and Claudia Gray has, have, have gone into it. And I like what they've done. They, I think they I would love to get more stories from those those writers about Qui-Gon. I really feel they they tapped into something with that character. The problem is they just 
I feel like they have their they have to tell the different story. We have to tell why Qui Gon's here and and why Obi Wan and Qui Gon are fighting. And I will criticize one small tidbit of the Obi Wan and Qui Gon relationship. I didn't like the infighting with them as much. I, I just didn't it just didn't resonate with me. It seemed like Obi Wan wouldn't be that defiant, and it was I I felt that there wasn't. At least in the, like, if you look at like a uh, Revenge of the, or not Revenge of the Sith, but Attack of the Clones and uh, other things, it just I don't really feel like Obi Wan connects mean, he, to. He Anakin. argues with uh with Qui Gon quite a lot in Phantom Menace. I mean a little bit, but no. He's more he's quite often like I don't think this is a good idea, Master. I don't like what you're doing, kind of thing. Like he yeah, does that but quite that's often. That bad. Yeah, that's not really that bad though, and that's what I'm saying though with. With Anakin, you know, Anakin's like being super defiant to him in Attack of the Clones, and I would think that if that was the case, he'd have more understanding to Anakin, but he doesn't. And so, but then again, I listen in this audiobook, you know, Obi-Wan basically goes against his master's wishes, and I mean, granted, like, Qui-Gon actually committed him for it, so that's not a great example, but just some of the infighting they had, I just kind of felt like, I'm like, this doesn't really seem... Be- totally believable and the fact they didn't really connect right away i just didn't really like that as much and, and granted like again it's, it's a small nitpick because i like what happened in the end and I, I do i do think for the most part she did grasp the communication between them perfectly but that one part it just didn't didn't hit home for me i'm curious what you ladies think well that was a big nitpick for me is the thing i think that central relationship is actually what holds this book together and if it doesn't work then I struggled to feel like the stakes had meaning because I I agree. I didn't really feel that Obi-Wan was in character. I do want to set aside some of those criticisms and kind of say that I think there was a lot of work put into the book in terms of the parallels between it and the Phantom Menace. There were kind of the basic surface level parallels like this is a book about politics. It's a book about uh, trade and negotiation and slavery and prophecy, all of which are important to the Phantom Menace, but it also expands on those things. I think it tries, maybe doesn't necessarily succeed, but tries to talk about um, the the way slavery could be fought in the galaxy and why it isn't, why it exists under the Republic or on the fringes of the Republic. I really liked the ideas about, well, what is the difference between being a Jedi Padawan and being a slave Um, And I liked some of the conversations about how Rail was older when he became a Jedi. And they think that that's part of why he never quite took to the the chapter and verse doctrine as much. And which, of course, seems like foreshadowing for Anakin being even older when he joins. So I do think this book was trying to do a lot of things. We can go into any or any or none of those. um, But I do definitely (laughs) want to talk about the prophecies at some point as well. So Pro- I have, like, the, yeah. a couple things to say that I haven't actually, like, gone around saying yet, I guess. Uh, one thing I found with Rail <laughs> is he's quite, like, a... I think the reason I like him so much is he's kind of a tragic character. Mm, he's yeah. he's here. He's, like, exiled from the Jedi, basically. Like, he's not technically exiled, but he's basically been exiled to look after this little girl because he got his Padawan killed. I read him as quite a tragic character because before you meet him, that's all you know about him is that he's killed his Padawan or his Padawan died because of his actions basically and so I read a lot of how he was acting in the book basically just as like coping with his trauma and grief without leading it out in a dark side kind of way um he becomes like so focused on Princess Fanry because he just doesn't want the same thing to happen again he's just like he's trying to keep himself sane so that he can look after this girl so that she doesn't also die um which I found 
which I liked as a character dynamic. Um, because I love I love those tragic boys who try so hard, but they still screw up. Um, but also with Qui-Gon <laughs> and Obi-Wan, I think something that uh, Claudia Gray was always going to struggle with with this was the comparison to Jedi Apprentice. Because Jedi Apprentice as a series is really good. And a lot of people uh, who are probably reading this book probably read those books and probably really liked them. And in those books, there is a very solid reason for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon to disagree and have those clashes. And it's because Obi-Wan was going to get kicked out of the Jedi and Qui-Gon didn't really want to take him on as a Padawan. Um, and those two things together meant that their disagreements made, like, came from an actual place. There were stakes for Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon had his reasons for like not trusting Obi-Wan as a Padawan because he originally didn't want him as a Padawan. Um, so when they, when they start communicating and actually getting closer, it feels like they're getting to know each other whereas in the new canon Qui-Gon I guess chose Obi-Wan as a pet one um so it feels a bit more weird for them to have those disagreements in the same way uh Obi-Wan's not scared mm. of leaving the Jedi he's not going to lose the Jedi they're not kicking him out nothing's ever said about that he doesn't have those stakes he might get a new master and maybe he doesn't want that I don't know uh I mean it's clear he doesn't really want that because he feels like you know he's he's being abandoned by Qui-Gon that he's not good enough uh but those stakes aren't the same as not being good enough for Qui-Gon and therefore being kicked out of the order. Uh, and I think, I don't know. I kind of wish I'd stuck with the original way they'd gotten together because I did really, I do really like Jedi Apprentice. Um, <clears throat> but I feel really kind of unfair comparing this book to Jedi Apprentice that much because it it, it was always going to be a thing that I would have to fight against. Sorry, I'm not crying. I need a cough. I'm not that emotional. Uh, and that was kind of one of the things I struggled with was like, I would draw inference for their disagreements from Jedi Apprentice and then realize that that wasn't actually really inference for it. And that wasn't the reason why this was happening. And that kind of would jar me out of like not understanding why they were fighting like they were. I kind of wish this book had been about when Obi-Wan first became Qui-Gon's apprentice rather than like a little while after. I feel like it would have made more sense for them to clash that much. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's really well said, Seth. That's exactly my main criticism. It seems like they've been together th th this long. Why are they now just fighting and why they are still having this disconnect? When you look in the Phantom Menace, like there's they're a well-oiled machine. You know, they have a great chemistry and, and everything. So that was again, I don't know if that was the right way to take the relationship. And I, I agree with you on that one. I don't know if that really resonated and worked. What's, what's a testament to Claudia Gray, at least for me, is that that when they are talking, the voices do – she does nail the, their voices. Like I feel like she got their personalities. It's just like where she took those personalities, if that makes – if this makes any sense, mm -hmm. just wasn't the right direction. I feel she, everything mm – -hmm. she, she got the tone. She got the what, – you know, what, what they say, how they would say it. You know what the reaction might be, but what she did with them specifically just didn't exactly seem re not reasonable. That's not the word I'm looking for, but it just didn't seem correct. Like it just seemed like it was not like you said yourself. Like why would they be fighting this far along already? You know, at this point, wouldn't they were already know what? You know, I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of what my my problem I, is. I definitely agree about the placement. I like what you said about the dialogue, Paul, because I found myself every once in a while thinking that the dialogue was stiff and then realizing that, like, that's what they sounded like in The Phantom Menace. <laughs> yeah. And I 
if you're going to write for a franchise, part of what that means is establishing, is going with the voices of the established characters. And there are definitely moments when you're writing like that, when you have to go, well, this is kind of stiff, but actually it works because the original was kind of stiff also. So I think that that's a very, that's a craft choice, you know, and I respect that choice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where this book, I think it kind of sums it up for me perfectly is that, I think that what she was doing all had, it was all the right things. Again, she's a great writer. I love Claudia Gray. She's my favorite of all Star Wars. But I just feel in this one specifically, I, and again, I don't know if, again, the overall story, I, the prophecies that we'll get into in here in a second, and maybe it's a good segue for it. The prophecies is what I, I feel that she really flourished in. She really nailed all those past uh, chapters with Qui-Gon, you know, being obsessing with the prophecies and why he'd be obsessive. And, and again, the influence that Count Dooku had on him and what exactly, because I think we all know that there, there's a story that hasn't been told yet about Qui-Gon that's even bigger than him looking at the prophecies for the first time when he actually like starts learning like holy crap there's more to this this force than the Jedi are, are showing me and like I and he kind of like figures it out and we kind of see that hinted at in throughout um with the Phantom Menace and things like that or Phantom Menace, excuse me, uh, Phantom Menace slash, you know, there's the Jody Hauser not or a comic and, and this book obviously as well. But between all that in the Phantom Menace until he dies, there's he's got an inkling about something. And I feel that there's a story there that he has an adventure without Obi-Wan that he kind of takes him down that path that the, the force is guiding him along. That's bigger than the Jedi. And, he, and I think that you see it in. In the Phantom Menace itself, he's very at peace about things. And I feel like with him, with with the prophecies that were given in Claudia Gray's book and whatever future story that's going to be told, it makes more sense the fact that he'd stick his neck out for Anakin. I feel like she did a great job of introducing us to why he started investing into that. But I want to see what Qui-Gon, you know, what brings him to that conviction point you know, what makes the prophecies, what gives him that further connection down with the prophecies and why he kind of goes when he tells Obi-Wan, I will do what I must, Obi-Wan. You know, if you have to, if I, if I have to go against the council, then that's what I'll do. So there's just lots of there's lots of hints of what could be told in the future. And I hope we get those stories. I wouldn't mind Claudia Gray, Claudia Gray writing that story, but I feel we need that story. And it only hints at that with the very little we do with the prophecies in this book. I kind of feel like between this and Jedi Lost, there's a lot of emphasis on the prophecies. Jedi Lost also, I think, goes into the, it's. It's really hard for me to remember now which actually happens in Jedi Lost and which happens in Master and Apprentice, which was one flaw in listening to one and reading one at the same time. Uh, but there's definitely mention of the prophecies in that because it was a thing that Dooku was also extremely interested in. He introduced Rail to them. And then didn't introduce him to Qui-Gon, so Rail introduced him to Qui-Gon, and through that, like Dooku also came back to them, and they clearly i think that that the prophecies have a big big kind of push for dooku also falling away from the order um possibly even rail who knows what happens with rail maybe that gets explained in the end of jedi lost i don't know but i feel like there's so much hinting at the prophecy stuff at the moment that i feel like i want another story about it because it's just i want a story that's rail and qui-gon and dooku because they're all really 100%. interesting. I've always kind of had an obsession with like the the lineage from like Obi-Wan to Qui-Gon to Dooku, I guess down to Anakin as well. I've always really liked that. And now there's another Padawan in that line and I'm like, "Yes, I love it." Also, 
I want more about Cypher and he's not in this book at all, so that sucks. But I feel like, yeah, the prophecies, they're definitely building on them, which is one reason I'm like, maybe the Chosen One prophecy is going to come back in the new movie. But also, mm-hmm. it could be totally unrelated. They could just be trying to build up on uh, character motivations for the Phantom Menace. Who knows? I definitely would love to see, I haven't seen anyone compile this, and I haven't done it myself, but if it's on the internet, please point me toward it, um, a compilation of all the prophecies from this book, and like what they yeah. might refer to, because yeah. one, of the, one of the things that I did really enjoy about this, and that reminded me of things like Chuck Wendig's work on the Acolytes of the Beyond, or the um, Bays and Chirrut book that had Force meditations in it is that we got these prophecies throughout and some of them were very cool um the one that kind of caught my attention the most was the one about um she born of darkness will give birth to darkness which i to me uh i saw a theory that i think is right that said it was leia about kylo ren which i think is just very cool what saf no that just you said that and i was like oh that makes so much sense i was trying (laughs) to figure out who that was this entire time um, and um, there were, that's the one that like struck me the most, but there were many, including the one that, um, you know, the, the chosen one prophecy itself that refers to Anakin. So what were your like favorite prophecies? I liked, yeah, I liked the one that who's born of darkness will give birth to darkness. Like I thought that was really cool sounding. Another thing really quickly about prophecies, cause there's a whole thing on like prophecies are force visions kind of, but these prophecies were particularly like they worked to get these prophecies so they could see the future so then they could then control the future, which was bad. Whereas Qui-Gon kind of reached the point where he's like, well, we kind of know what's going to happen, so we can just roll with it. There's a thing in Jedi Lost about Sifidius can see visions, which I think was possibly mentioned in the Clone Wars when he kind of comes in for a little bit. I don't really remember. It's been a while. There's like kind of also an emphasis on force visions and whether or not they can be trusted. And that's also in this book. It's Qui-Gon has force visions. And they're like, can we trust this? We don't know. One thing I kind of tugged at my brain when I was reading that was the fact that Rey has this force vision in the first movie and she has like the force call to her quite a lot and there's still heaps of speculation about what that force vision means because there's a lot in there um and i was like maybe that will return in the new movie because there's that photo of luke in the vanity fair thing where it could be from a force vision maybe so that was like my brain kind of like constantly trying to figure out if any of this stuff is relevant to the new movie but i think I don't know. I feel like some part of like the whole Force Vision thing will come back into the movie. I don't remember a lot of the prophecies specifically, but I do. I I loved every every one. Like every time they they brought it up, I I love mythology and I love something that George kind of brought into, which I never would have thought of before, is that having you know Anakin and this idea of a balancer being foreshadowed into the Force. And again, and I, I do, one of the things I will say the sequel trilogy is hinting at, and I'm, I'm hoping that, like you kind of said, Saf, that hopefully they're hinting at these prophecies are going to come into play in episode nine, because even Snoke, when he says darkness rises and light to meet it, that's kind of what, you know, obviously is what they're referencing at this point, is there's a prophecy that, of a chosen one. And maybe it's not just a one-time prophecy, but a reoccurring prophecy of a balancer, if, if you will. Thus, maybe the rise of Skywalker, that's why it's called that. I love this idea of having this the Force kind of telling the Jedi, maybe warning the Jedi, if you will, that there is something coming. And I like the idea that just the the uh, the uh, I want to say legalism, but the uh, the as the dogmatic aspect of the Jedi are just are so arrogant and so oblivious and think that oh no one can. Again, we talk about no one can have a vision. Like they, people, if you have visions, it's like a very looked down upon in the Jedi. Like you don't really, you know, how can you? How could you tell the future? Like, it's very looked down upon I feel in the part Jedi. Of that might be. Uh, mm, I get the impression that past things have meant that people have gotten visions and then gotten so obsessed with the visions that they 
yes. tried to force their own influence on what was happening. Um, well, you yes. can be a magic yeah. wizard, but you can't be too magic. I'm sorry, that kind yeah. of makes but me think about mad. I mean, but <laughs> I mean, it's but, not like Anakin, right? Like he he sees like these bad things happening to Padme, and he becomes obsessed with stopping them, and so therefore yes. causes them. Like he became a self fulfilling prophecy there, and I think that is the danger that Jedi are worried about with Force visions is that. If a Jedi becomes too obsessed on a certain idea of what's going to happen in the future, they could cause more harm, they could cause the thing to happen, or they may not be able to let go if something does happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that uh, you brought up a great point, Staff, is that how many Jedis were actually putting their own influence on these visions that their own their own interpretation was, like you said, like their own like their own agenda, if you will. Like they could, and so yeah. I like the idea that they could be thinking one thing and it's a vision that really it wasn't it, you know what i mean like it's like and that's, that's it's, an idea in this book right like qui-gon like, has exactly, this idea yeah. of what's happening in his vision and then at the end he's like oh actually no the vision was saying this the whole time i was i just wasn't seeing that because i didn't want to uh and that's why he's all like well i guess the prophecies can be real you just can't really expect them to do exactly what they're gonna say <laughs> and i think maybe the jedi were so concerned like you if they thought well the the the, the you just can't trust them. Like you don't know what's going to happen. So because of that, they looked down on, upon it, and that's why these prophecies were kind of like thrown to the wayside because they probably thought the people who were doing it were just they're saying it's for their own like agenda or their own like praise or whatever. And I like the idea of the Jedi being a, a religion gone bad. And I, I, I anything that digs deeper into that and that there is good in the Jedi, it just gets corrupted like any. Any kind of organization I've been in, I've been in a many, I've been in a Christian organizations and I've seen them corrupted. I've seen them fall apart because of things like what the Jedi do and they just become the very legalistic, dogmatic kind of organization. And I like the idea that in the end, there is the core of what what binds them, the force that's been trying to tell them what's been going on. It tries to, tries, it tries to warn them basically Listen, this is going to happen, and obviously it, the Force knew that it's going to it was going to corrupt the Jedi were, was going to corrupt itself, and that's why they knew that evil would come back, and they bring in the they talk about the prophecy. So there's just I love all those aspects, and you almost you almost think, and this is kind of going back to what we talked about earlier with the um, rumored uh, Knights of the Old Republic. What if one of these movies uh, or whatever? They eventually introduced the prophecies. Like, what if we see the prophecy of the Chosen One introduced in one of those Knights of the Old Republic films? And mm. it's, it's it's not like a a, a big – it's not going to be a thing that's going to be in all the films. But maybe in one story, like, they talk about – like, maybe at the very end, there's like a – they save a Jedi. And, and like, the Jedi is like, there's going to be a Chosen One. And they're like, no. You know, they're just kind of like, huh. <laughs> nah, nah, that that sounds fake. Yeah, right. No, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, what – I almost feel like it – you could bring that into a film and that'd be kind of a cool like nod to the Skywalker saga. So I don't know. I, I, I just love, I love all that stuff. And there wasn't one that stuck out to me, but I love what the discussion we're having regarding it because there is, there's a lot to be said that you can parallel this with, with regular life and, and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I love the idea of the prophecies having this, your own interpretation or your own like idea of what comes from that. And that that's why the Jedi don't trust it. I, I like that idea because it becomes more, again, when, you, when I think when the, when the Jedi look to more faith based stuff, it, it's hard for them. You know, like you have to trust the force, not just wait for the force to tell you, but you have to trust the force what's giving you or you know, what, what they're giving you is the truth or whatever. And I, it's obvious that the Jedi have an issue with trusting the force 
or having faith, excuse me, in the force as far as believing and, and trusting it and having the faith that what they're giving you is is true or or whatnot. I love it. It fascinates me that no, I'd love to see more stories based upon that, those kinds of things. This is kind of frustrating to me because I feel like there was a good opportunity to establish more of here's how prophecy works, here's why it's considered so evil, um, which we do see going forward with Vader and Anakin, and to say here's what the original prophecy was, but it's another case of where that's just not what this book is, and I wish it did kind of put those ground rules down a little bit because it either it doesn't establish here's literal interpretation and nor does it make it mysterious enough for the gaps to be interesting themselves which i think was my problem with a lot of the dooku sections they didn't feel mystical enough they didn't lean enough into this is weird and we're not sure what's going on territory so but i do like a lot of what you said about how it shows that the old republic became too dogmatic about how it shows the difference between following the will of the force and following the fallibility of the people who say Run, they speak for the yeah, force. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think those are all really cool things to dig into. Yeah, I agree with you. I wish it had been more like mysticism stuff in this because I love that stuff. Yes. And yeah, I just always want more weirdness in, in Star Wars. And I think the tone of this just didn't quite go there as much as I would have liked it to do. So I did really, we covered a lot of this, but I did really love the parallels um, to Anakin. I think this book did a good job of, of placing Anakin in those empty places. And those there were a couple conversations that I think could have come off as kind of cutesy-like. The, the one that I'm thinking of that I think was actually done really well was when Obi-Wan was kind of shocked by the idea of a lightsaber battle between two Force users who were actually yes. trying to kill each other. Like, that concept was just so foreign to him because lightsabers are only used by Jedi and Jedi don't fight each other. So why would you have to fight someone in a serious way with a lightsaber. I thought that that was a really cool look at a thing that was reasonable for him to believe, but that we know as an audience is obviously going to change very quickly and violently soon. So that was really cool. And that could have come off as cute. You know, that could have come off as like, oh, oh, whoa, Obi-Wan, you're silly. That would never happen. You know, it could have been very like goofy, but I think it was done well. So I liked all those kind of um, call forwards generally. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of good in this book, but Denoy's land. Denoy stick the landing. There we go. Well said. I'm definitely, I, I will um, have a listen to Dooku Jedi Lost and see what the connections between them were. It, I'm a little, I'm a little worried because from what the two of you are saying, it sounds like both of these feel like there may be sequels to something that hasn't been written. Like they're almost both like leaning on earlier stuff that didn't actually happen which is interesting i don't think i don't think dooku does but it definitely feels like it's it because it's quite short it feels like it's missing quite a lot that's happening during it which i think is the issue with that one whereas this one whereas yeah master and Renaissance does feel like it's leaning on something else that isn't there and that thing is partly partly jedi lost but not enough jedi lost because that isn't just about dooku i mean it's not just about qui-gon it's largely about dooku and his relationships to other people qui-gon's kind of like a side side part to that mm. all right yeah. um anything else you want to add about this book I've said i all that I can last say. chapter the last chapter was unexpected and mean uh, oh yeah know. we haven't even like really talked about spoilers at all so maybe we'll keep being stay vague about that but yeah i yeah if you haven't read the book that last chapter 
I I like slammed the book closed and like had to take a walk away from it. And one of my flatmates was just like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "No, but I will be." <laughs> I feel like that one is a good connection to the from a certain point of view story, particularly. I oh, that's that. right. <laughs> it's where it, where it takes place. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's right. Okay. So. That's everything. Thank you for bearing with me for my rather salty take on this book. <laughs> I do want to emphasize, like, I really do like Claudia Gray. I like what she's done with Star Wars generally. This one just had some strange decisions made. <laughs> so thank you to Den of Geek for hosting us. Um, we can be found on Twitter at, like, the, um, the podcast account is Blaster Cannon Pod, all one word. Saf and Paul, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at WandaLustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me at NotSafeWork.com and Patreon.com slash WandaLustin. You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 at two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug, and also on Instagram, H-E-R-M-A-N-N-22. That's Herman22. Yeah. And I can be found on Twitter at blogfullofwords. I write for StarWars.com, Star Wars Insider, and Den of Geek. Next uh, couple weeks, you can probably find me doing E3 coverage. So again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 